Welcome to Money Isn't Scary, a podcast for women to explore our fears around money and inspire each other to be financially empowered. I'm Megan Dwyer, and I'm making it my personal mission to remove the taboo around money and help women rewrite their stories so they can stop staying small and begin to live life on their terms. In this show, we get real and uncomfortable as we unpack our beliefs, thoughts, and behaviors that aren't serving us anymore. I can't wait for you to join me on this journey. So let's dive in. Hi, you guys. Welcome to the Money Isn't Scary podcast. I'm your host, Megan Dwyer. Today, I'm sharing my conversation with forensic accountant Tracy Conan. This conversation was really eye-opening for me. In my everyday work, I often see women come to me post-divorce, usually in an incredibly vulnerable and insecure place. But I never really thought through the empowerment that can come through the divorce process. And even if this isn't your situation, you're in a happy and stable marriage, we talk today about how you can have those healthy conversations around money to continue to develop and foster the marriage. So tell me more about Tracy. Uh, Tracy is known as a no-nonsense forensic accountant who delivers the real deal to her clients. Let's face it, when your money is on the line, there is zero time to dance around an issue. Her passion lies in helping people find answers. Answers to questions like, where did our money go? After years of watching those who couldn't justify the cost of a forensic accountant lose thousands of thousands of dollars in divorces, Tracy knew she had to create a solution. That's why she put her heart into creating the Divorce Money Guide. Tracy takes divorcing people step-by-step step through the process of gathering and analyzing their financial documents to see whether there's money missing. Tracy works as a forensic accountant through her firm, Sequence Inc., Forensic Accounting. She's been doing fraud investigations for more than 25 years and is a certified public accountant. Um, she's certified in financial forensics and is a master analyst in financial forensics. Tracy testifies as an expert witness across the country. And in our conversation today, we talk about the importance of ongoing money conversations during marriages. We talk about tips on how to have those money conversations from any perspective, whether you control the money or you know about the money or you don't. We talk about how we have layers of shame when it comes to money and why that's important to talk about. We talk about the power of progress, not perfection, in this process. You guys can find Tracy on Instagram at Divorce Money Guide, and you can find out more from her in both the divorce and her marriage money guide at divorcemoneyguide.com. I'll also include all the links in the show notes as well. All right, you guys, without further ado, here is my conversation with Tracy Conan. Hi, Tracy. Welcome to the Money Isn't Scary podcast. Thanks so much for being here today. Megan, I am excited to be here. We have some really good stuff to talk about. I'm actually really excited for this conversation. So why don't we get started and have you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are and the work that you're doing. I'm a forensic accountant, so I find money for people. I do fraud investigations, a lot of that um, in the corporate realm where executives are stealing money or companies are fighting over contracts gone bad and somebody's lost money and I'm figuring out how much and testifying in court as an expert witness, but some of it is in the divorce space. So I am working on behalf of husbands or wives who uh, are suspicious that their spouse has been hiding money or has had some secret spending, things like that. 
That's really fascinating. How did you get into this kind of work? I'm just curious. Well, I went to college to get a degree in criminology because I was always fascinated with prisons. And my career goal was to become a prison warden. And while I was in that program in my sophomore year, I took a course. It was an elective in the program that only came around once every blue moon, and it was called financial crime investigation. I thought that sounds kind of interesting, good elective to take. I took it and I was sort of hooked at that point. So I started taking accounting courses and economics courses and finished my criminology degree, but got enough credits in accounting and economics that I was able to sit for the CPA exam eventually. So that was kind of, that's kind of the genesis of all of it is that one class sort of got me on this path. So I feel like the audience is probably wondering at this point, why we're having this conversation together today, right? So I, when when you had first reached out to me, you were looking at this sort of from the angle of women's empowerment, right? So tell us a little bit about the work that you do on that side. You know, maybe you can get a little bit into why you want to support women in this area and why you're so passionate about it. Well, divorce is probably one of the worst things that people can go through. I think Across the board, people agree that divorce is scary. And one of the most difficult issues in divorce, aside from usually what happens with the children, is what's happening with the money. As I was working with primarily women in their divorce cases and seeing situations where they may have been financially abused or they may just not have played an active role in the money in their household. So they don't know what's been going on. I wanted to try to find a way to help women more. Let's take control of the money in the divorce process. And even though divorce is terrible and awful and scary, it's also an opportunity where we can um, get some control over the money, understand more about it, set ourselves up for our post-divorce lives. And that's, that's the perspective that I'm coming from. And so With all of that, I created the Divorce Money Guide to help anyone going through divorce, but I knew that it was primarily going to benefit women to help learn more about their finances, find out what their money has been spent on, how much they have, and really get them set up for a fair negotiation in the divorce, getting exactly what they're entitled to, and then starting off their post-divorce life on the right foot. Yeah, and, and starting off, I think, a new stage of life with a different perspective and a different approach and a different relationship with money or to money, I think is really important for women, right? So do you address that as well in the book or is it like a lot more of just the the numbers? It really is the nuts and bolts of going through the numbers. But what I found is that a lot of women who haven't been actively involved with the money during their marriage have a lot of shame around that issue. Somebody is making them right now feel like they should be embarrassed that they don't know what their money has been spent on. And I am all about wiping out that shame because the fact of the matter is there is a division of duties in marriages. You take care of the yard. I take care of dropping the kids off at school, right? We give and take in this. And one of the things that is often bargained on is one spouse is watching the money. We're married. We trust one another. Of course, we're going to trust our spouse with the money. So it is not unusual for the other spouse to just not really know the global picture about the finances. So to the extent that the divorce money guide can help 
and I personally can help alleviate that shame surrounding the issue of what you did or didn't know about the money. I I'm really excited about being able to share that. Yeah. And I, I think that the shame is so deep, right? It goes way back for people and there's beliefs and there's stories there and there's shame. There's layers of shame. I feel like when it comes to money and then when you get to a situation where you are going through a divorce, you maybe feel ashamed that you didn't know what you were doing while you were in the marriage. Right. And while all this was going on, and this is an area that I have really not talked about on the podcast. And I think I haven't talked about it because it's really loaded, but it's really important because it obviously has an impact on our money, right? Relationships with anybody, um, relationships with spouses impact, especially right when you're working towards a common goal, ultimately, right? <laughs> of, of whatever that is, whether it's just like surviving or raising your kids or, you know, wanting to have whatever, a, a great life together. I think oftentimes there's dynamics in relationships that can sort of take over when you sort of are just going through the motions every day and you're in a comfortable relationship. And so I think that's something that I haven't addressed because there's so much there, but I think I, it's important to start to kind of piece this out for, for women in particular. One of the things that frustrates me and one of the reasons why I started my podcast to begin with is because I've had so many conversations with women over the years, other colleagues and, you know, moms and just peers, people that I know, who I've talked to and I've said, yeah, you know, I'm a financial planner and I, I have this podcast and so many of them say, oh yeah, my husband just handles the money. My, hus my husband just handles the finances. Like, I, you know, my, I might, maybe I have to show receipts or I just check in or whatever, but, but I just, I don't, or I don't look at prices or whatever that my, my husband just handles it. And not only is that doing us a disservice, but it's also doing your marriage, I think, a disservice. And I'd love to talk a little bit more about that. I know you're not a marriage counselor, or but but you're married yourself, and you've seen this multiple times in this, this kind of dynamic. What's your opinion on that? Like, how do you think that kind of just by, by taking a backseat or like a default role when it comes to money and finances and the, and the family dynamic and the household... How is that in your mind impacting the long-term kind of relationship between spouses? That's a really interesting question. I like how you said there are layers to the shame yeah. of not being involved because it's really easy for me to sit here and say, don't feel ashamed. Well, it's a little more complicated than that. So I want to acknowledge that first of all. I think that when you go completely hands off with the money, you are putting a lot of pressure on your spouse, right? They have to make the decisions. They have to keep track of everything. And if something goes wrong, they're going to be the sole one to blame. I think that, that that's not a great position to put them in. I think also having one person completely in control of the money creates a power imbalance. Even if you don't intend for that to happen, yeah. they sort of are the parent, right? They're the parent of the money almost, and it can yeah. create a relationship like that. And so while I say, I don't want you to be ashamed if you haven't been involved with the money, I want you to change that behavior because going forward now, now we're going to talk about why you have no excuse not to have an active voice in the money. doesn't mean you have to create the budget 
or keep track of all the money or make the entries into your little home accounting system or things like that. But to be actively aware is, is something that I want you to take ownership of and have regular money conversations. Absolutely. And that's what I talk about all the time, the knowledge and the awareness, right, of what you have. So assets, liabilities, and and what you have coming in and going out, right? Just some general knowledge around those areas. And I feel like that's a lot of what power there is, right? Like just knowing the basics. You don't have to know all the tax rules and the ins and outs of all of that stuff. Just knowing the basics is so empowering. And as you were just talking about kind of the that power imbalance, one of the things that came to me also is this con like the, the, the idea of resentment. I think when one spouse is sort of handling the finances and the other spouse isn't, right? Like I think there's resentment on both sides to some extent. And I think that like that that can build, right? I'm not saying there always is, but if there is no, if, if you just sort of like let your power go, right? As as say your stereotypical kind of female in the relationship, there there might be some resentment that maybe depending on your dynamic, your spouse is like, oh, you can't go shopping today, or you can't do this, or you can't, or maybe putting some limits around it. So maybe you feel resentful about that. And then I think maybe on the other way around, like the spouse who is kind of the one that's looking at this and is in control may have some resentment that the other person doesn't have to feel the weight or the responsibility of doing it. They can just sort of go do whatever they want without thinking about it, right? Or stressing about it, just like that person might be doing. So the, this is where money conversations, conversations around how we think about money, how we feel about money, how we use our money, how we want to use our money is so important. And I don't think in marriages, this happens enough. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> well, I think you're 100% correct. And so when I was putting together the divorce money guide, I said, I've got to reverse engineer this. And I, I was thinking about having people be proactive in their marriages. So I put together the marriage money guide, oh, which love is, it. yeah, it's for women only uh, that the divorce money guide is for anyone. The marriage money guide is only for women. And it is just like the divorce money guide. It's a 10 step process. It's super easy, like super simple steps, but walking you through like, the money issues you need to think about with your spouse. How are we going to handle our money? Are we putting all our money together or are we going to keep it all separate or somewhat separate? And how do we have money conversations with our soon-to-be husband uh, or wife? And how do we have ongoing conversations? How do we create a budget together and all of these kinds of things? I thought if we could get people having these conversations before they get married and then encourage those regular conversations, you know, throughout the week or the month, that would be much more beneficial and head off a lot of those problems that we see with money. Absolutely. I love this. Now we're talking the same language here because I think the intention behind the conversations around money is absolutely critical for making any kind of change and any kind of growth and a feeling of empowerment from a woman's a woman's perspective, right? And so many times, and myself included and my marriage included, these conversations are avoided, right? So, I mean, I'm just thinking about like before we got married, right? Like, and even when we did get married, like before we got married, everything was separate. 
because I was used to making my own money. He was used to making his own money. And then when we started living together and paying bills together, he just paid for some things. I paid for other things. It was sort of like, to some extent, unspoken, but it just worked, right? And then as life got a little bit more complicated and more responsibilities, owning a house, all of a sudden having kids and car payments and things like that, it all started to feel like there was a little bit of an imbalance. And like one person, you know, obviously like one person was making a little bit more than the other person. That person had more a higher responsibility for the for, for different bills. And there was, I think the busier we got, the less and less communication was had about it. It was just, okay, you've got this account. I've got this account. Let's just pay whatever we need to pay right now and go with it. And I think that's done us a disservice. And to be perfectly honest, I think that is sort of one of the reasons why I got into the place that I got into before I started this podcast. Like I was spending, I had my own account, right? And so my husband didn't know what I was doing. And it allowed me to sort of like not have to feel like accountable or feel like responsible for what I was spending there. Like I could just spend whatever I wanted and I could sort of just hide it. I think doing it that way without being, open and honest allows us to sort of continue to go down these maybe more destructive paths that can potentially have a negative impact to your relationship. Cause then at some point you've got to sort of open up about what you're spending your money on. Right. And even still, when you kind of combine your accounts, whether you do it that way from the start or you do it eventually. And we, we finally eventually did do that. It was like, you know, one person, one spouse pulling money out of the ATM for this. And it's like, well, what are you doing? That, what, are you, what are you doing that for? What's that? What, what are you using those dollars for? I feel like, I feel like this is a dynamic that a lot of households deal with. And I feel like it can easily be avoided with simple communication and intention behind it, but it's hard to do. It's really hard, hard to have those conversations. Right. Which is why it ultimately leads to, unfortunately, a divorce situation sometimes. I think those conversations can be hard, but they're harder when you have them less frequently. Like if you only have the big money talk once every six months, all of a sudden it's this huge deal. And it's this big, there's this big lead up like, oh God, we have to have the twice a year money talk. Whereas yeah. I say, like going to the dentist, if you, right? <laughs> right? If you were to have a 10 minute check-in once a week about the money stuff, suddenly it's a lot less onerous. I think it's a routine thing. You deal with little issues as they come up and they don't get to be big issues. Now is some of this idealistic? Of course, there are going to be hard issues that are going to come up that you're going to have to talk about in your weekly check-in. But what I'm saying is Doing that on a very frequent routine basis, I think diminishes the amount of stress surrounding each individual conversation. And do you have tips on how to have that conversation? Because I feel like if you say, if one person in the relationship just as out of the blue, hey, let's have a conversation about money. Another, the other person could very well get defensive, right? Or feel like stressed or overwhelmed or something. And that's not a good way to approach this conversation. This conversation I feel like needs to be done in a very gentle kind of nurturing way and where we're kind to ourselves and we're not calling anybody out on anything for what they have or haven't done, right? I'm curious what your thoughts are 
Here's the easiest way that I found to start that conversation. So I am going to be the wife who hasn't been involved with the money, who has just listened to this podcast and thinks that it would be a good idea to get involved. I would do something like this. So I am really concerned. What if something happens to you? What if in your, you're in a major car accident? What if you pass away unexpectedly? I really don't know where we have all of our money, how our various bills are getting paid, how much we spend for things. Like I wouldn't even know how the mortgage gets paid. Is it on auto pay? And it probably is. But where does that money come from? How much money do I have to live on? You know, when, when will I need to start worrying? Will I need to scramble as soon as something happens to you to make sure certain bills are paid or would things be okay for a few weeks until I got my wits about me? So that's a super non-confrontational thing because it comes from a place of concern. I am concerned. What if something happened to you? Yeah. Versus right. Being like, Hey, you are like accusatory. Like you don't tell me anything about the money. Why not? Are you hiding something or something like that? Right. Like it's right. Like, taking it from a bit from like more of a neutral, gentle approach like you just did versus like accusatory, I think is a good way to handle it. Well, and what I also find is helpful is if you're the person initiating this conversation, take ownership and make it be your fault. So like if your husband says, well, you never wanted to know what was going on with the money. I would say, you know what? I really was disinterested in what was happening with the money because I knew that you were handling it and I knew that I could trust you, right? So I'm going to pump him up and compliment him for how confident I am in him. And then I'm going to take ownership and say, I was really driving that. I really didn't care to know before. And I'm kind of realizing that that's not a good position to be in, that I should know what's going on with the money. And even though I know you've got it handled, I really at least want to know how our bills are being paid, how much things are costing and things like that. So that I would, I'm just aware. And then if you do need help sometime, I can help, right? It, it, it's all about positives to them. Take any negative feeling onto yourself for purposes of that conversation. Again, I don't want people feeling shame. If you haven't been involved, don't feel shame. But for purposes of this conversation, you can say, you know what? I am really sorry. I didn't care to be involved and I should have asked more questions, right? That totally diffuses things. Yeah. So I have two points that just came to my mind. So around that shame, you just said, you know, don't feel shame, don't feel shame. And we just talked about this. I mean, I think there's more work that has to be done kind of behind the scenes around that shame and those layers of yeah. shame that we, that we already talked about. So that's where working through your own money stories and beliefs and behaviors and thoughts that come up for you around money is really, really important to that kind of healing process because you can't just, just by saying, don't be ashamed. It doesn't work like that. We all know that, right? So there has to be kind of a healing process that you need to, and a journey that you need to be on, on, on your own first. But also another question that I have for you, you know, the, the example that you just said was typically where in your traditional kind of male female relationship where the the man is the one that's making the money or the one that's kind of controlling the money and the woman is the one that is looking to learn more what if sort of like the roles were reversed and you're the one that is handling the money on a daily basis or handling more of the ongoing management of the money and you know where everything is and your spouse doesn't how do you bring that conversation up it is just the reverse conversation you know, for all of our marriage, I've been managing the money and taking care of the budget and paying the bills and everything. 
And I haven't minded doing that at all because it's right in my wheelhouse. But I was thinking about what would happen if something happened to me, if I was in a major car accident or if I passed away unexpectedly, I'm worried that you wouldn't know where our money is, how the bills are being paid, how much money is there, how much time you have to sort of, you know, coast a little bit before you actively get involved. And so I'd like for us to sit down so I could show you where our accounts are, show you the logins to them, talk through how each of the bills are being paid, what's on auto pay and what's not. I mean, it's just the exact opposite conversation. Yeah. So there's, there's no different approach to it. It's just kind of t- reversing the tables a little bit instead of it's, it's, it's being initiated by you. Right. I guess what if there's a little pushback? What if that person or the spouse isn't ready? Right. If you want to share it and they're like, ah, I don't really care. I saw this meme the other day that just drove, drives me crazy. It was like, uh, like a husband and, and wife sitting down and he's sitting there talking to her about all these different accounts and everything. And the meme is like her just kind of daydreaming, like, oh, whatever you handle it. I don't really care. And that just like literally makes my blood boil. Like it makes me so angry. So (laughs) what do you think in that situation where the person not ready or not willing to approach it? So I always want to acknowledge where that person is at and affirm that their feelings are valid. So I would be saying, I completely understand that this is something that you're not interested in doing or it overwhelms you or whatever, you know, they probably have voiced an objection as to why, or they just don't care. I completely understand. I'm wondering what there would be on the money, you know, in terms of the money, what small steps could we start to make towards you becoming a little more involved and know a little bit more? Is there, could we start small? Right. So I I would be looking for something that would not feel overwhelming to them. I would say in most cases, the objection that they say out loud might not be the real objection. And I think in many, many cases, it's just a feeling of overwhelm that they are overwhelmed. Like, what is she expecting me to learn or know there's just so much going on. And so if you can say, could we come up with some small steps that we would take over time for you to just get a little bit more involved? Yeah. The overwhelm, I agree. And I think so much of the overwhelm comes from the fact that something that we don't know about, right? And we all can relate to that. And then maybe also some underlying stories, beliefs that we've told ourselves. Like I talk about this all the time, right? Like that women often will have the story that because we're taught, right? By culture, or maybe even somebody in our family that we're not good with money. So that's one of those beliefs I think that continues to come up, right? And so we think like, okay, well, I'm not good at this. I'm not good at math. I'm not good at handling finances. So I'm just going to not bother with it. But I think we don't take the time to question that underlying belief. And that's where I think that kind of work in conjunction with the work that you're doing, right? That marriage money guide and, and having more kind of concrete steps to understanding what what you do need to know and how you can participate actively in the money conversation within your household. I think those are like the tiny little baby steps that you can make today. I mean, you don't have to all of a sudden become some investment professional or, you know, financial planner. I mean, we're not doing that here. This is just very basic kind of knowing yourself and knowing your numbers. It's about progress, not perfection. So I think we have a tendency, especially as women to say, okay, there is this thing 
And I have to master it immediately. I have to do all the things. You don't have to do all the things. You just have to make progress. If your story, and this is one that I hear a lot, if your story is I'm not good with money, then let's talk about taking small steps to be better with money. You may not be good with money overnight, but you could be better with money today than you were yesterday. You know, maybe the better with money is knowing how much you have spent at the corner coffee shop every week, right? Okay, you 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 just go there and get a coffee when you feel like getting your fancy coffee, but you've never thought about how much that costs on a weekly basis. Maybe your first step is simply understanding that to say, wow, I didn't realize I was blowing 40 bucks a week on that. And that sounds like a lot with what our current budget is. Maybe I can cut that back and, and trim off a couple of trips there, right? Yeah, and, uh, and again, it all goes down to intention too, right? If you want to... If coffee is important to you, awesome. Spend your dollars there. But then, but let's also like assess the bigger picture and see, are there other areas that are that isn't important to me that I can get rid of, right? So it uh, to me, it's all about intentional spending and having the things that we spend our dollars on be in alignment with the things that we value. I talk in the marriage money guide about as, as you're entering into this marriage, talking about the things you each like to do, your hobbies, your things that cost money because your spouse might have no concept. I think a lot of men, if they understood how much it costs to go get a manicure every week, they would lose their minds, right? But if we go into that conversation to inform them, here's what I like to do. It's really important to me to get a manicure every week and it costs X dollars for me to do that. And then he says, oh my goodness, I had no idea that was so expensive. But if you're willing to maybe give in other areas of your budget, because that one thing is important to you, it's awesome that you can have that conversation, make that agreement. Or maybe he finds out how much the weekly manicure costs. He loses his mind for a minute. And then he says, well, as you know, I have the whatever hobby and that probably costs me on average about the same thing per week. And you've just kind of come to a meeting of the minds on that, that maybe both of you are going to keep that thing that you like. And I think ultimately drilling down to why, why is that manicure important to you? And why is it that in a healthy marriage, right? And why, I'm sorry, I'm going to say, why is that, why is that manicure important to you? And why is golf or whatever it is? I'm just using that Mm -hmm. as an example that, you know, your husband might, might spend money on. Why is that important to him? Because some people I feel like tend to go through the motions and maybe we roll our eyes like, oh, he's always golfing or she's always getting a manicure or something like that. You laugh at it, but like there is a feeling behind those activities. Right. Right. It might be right. Getting a manicure, having nicely manicured nails makes me feel pretty and put together and professional. And that is important for how I feel every day. When I go to work, when I'm out and about, that is like the thing, you know, some people's thing is they don't want to leave the house without eyelashes on or, or whatever the, you know, yeah. something like that. But, but for some people that manicure, it's not about necessarily pampering myself. It might be about, it makes me feel a certain way about my appearance. Now to others, it may be, I like that one hour a week to sit there and have someone do something for me. I feel like I'm always serving everyone else and I'm picking up the kids and cleaning the house and doing the things. But that one hour a week where I can sit there and have someone else do something nice for me while I don't have to think about anything else is important. I love that you you said we, we got to get into the reasons why it's important. And I think it's hard to pull that out of men sometimes. I know it is for my, for, for my husband, for sure. I mean, sometimes I'm like, he likes to go to concerts or he likes to go to, um, his big thing is sports. He loves to go to like 
we're in Boston. He loves to go to like Celtics games or Red Sox games. And I'm like, so what is it? Like, I don't mind you going at all, but what is it about being there? And he's like, I don't know. I just like being there. And I like being, you know, in this, but like, I think it's harder for them to like fully kind of extrapolate. But again, I think because culture doesn't tell, tell men that it's okay to have these feelings and to understand, like it just to understand what's underlying everything. It's just, this is what I do. Right. That's a whole other conversation, but I think it's important. The, the reason behind all these things is important is extremely important to communicate in a marriage. And the other thing too, that I was just going to add is it might be this way at the onset of a marriage, right? Like maybe you, you know, you like what you like and you have your hobbies and you, you spend your dollars in a certain way. And then if things change, right? Cause we change and kids come into the picture and I can tell you, I used to love going to get a, a pedicure every so often. And since I've had kids is few and far between and I don't have the time for it because my priorities have changed. Now, how I spend my dollars is very different than how I used to spend my dollars. And I think that is as the things are shifting, it's also important to recognize that it's shifting in a marriage and to, again, communicate that as well. But it's hard because sometimes you're going to be like, well, you used to do this. How come you don't do this anymore? How come you don't you do this now that you never used to? Right. One of the rules in the marriage money guide is that no decision that we make about money is permanent. Every decision we make can be revisited because things will change. We're, you know, you're engaged, you're sitting there having that conversation before the marriage and you've decided we're combining all of our money and we're going to pay all the bills out of one checking account and it's all going to be happy. And then you get three months into the marriage and you realize this isn't working because I feel uneasy about it for this reason. The rule is we can revisit it at any time and change things and come up with a new plan that works for us. Yeah. And I feel like, again, that's, that is one of those kind of cultural expectations that it's black and white, right? It's a perfectionism thing that like, it is, this is how we do it. You have all those financial gurus out there that tell you how to budget and what worked for them to get out of debt and all that, like that stuff drives me crazy. Like that you're supposed to follow these certain rigid rules and it's just supposed to be like that. And you're supposed to live happily ever after. That's just crazy to me because we're human beings. We are not robots. We have feelings. We, we have beliefs and we have hobbies and we have things that change. Our lives are constantly changing. And of course, like how you spend your money is going to change and how you feel about the things that you spend your money on is going to change over time. So I think going into it with that kind of open mindset that like, yeah, okay. I'm not stuck to this like rigid budget every single week and it's going to change and it's fluid and it's flexible and that's okay. I think gives you a, a takes a lot of the pressure off. Absolutely. So I'd love to have you talk a little bit more about specifically about the divorce money guide and the marriage money guide, and then we'll start to wrap up and you can tell everybody a little bit more about how they can hear more from you and how they can find you. Well, let me tell you about the divorce money guide, because this is where it all started for me. Again, it came out of my divorce work that I was doing with spouses who were in a position where they didn't know what was going on with the money. And Forensic accounting, as you know, is really expensive. And so I was limited in, in how many people I could help just from a standpoint of affordability, but also from a standpoint of I'm only one person. I wanted to take forensic accounting and make that more accessible to people. So I put together that divorce money guide. 
10 steps and you don't even have to do all 10. You don't have to do them in order, but it walks people through what is the financial part of your divorce, understanding some of those legal terms and some of the things that will happen will be expected of you as it relates to the money. Then what financial documents do you need to get a handle on your finances in your marriage? How do you get them? What do you look for once you have them? Now, many people who are using the divorce money guide have gotten to it because they have had suspicions about what their spouse is doing with the money, that they're either hiding money or they've got some secret spending. So what we have in the divorce money guide is um, an assessment for people to take that can help them really get a handle on, should they be concerned? Is there likelihood of fraud in their marriage? Like red flags, things that they should be looking for. Absolutely. That assessment went over so well that I created one for people who weren't yet using the divorce money guide, just a smaller assessment for anyone to take called the red flag assessment, where I ask you some questions about how do you manage the money in your family? Who is in charge of the money? Have any of these types of things happened in your marriage? What have you noticed? And people kind of check off some of those things and then they get back a result from me of objectively speaking, do you have a lot to worry about or not? Yeah. Yeah. And then did that sort of translate into, well, if I had this information during my marriage, could that have potentially saved my marriage, which maybe created the marriage money guide? That certainly was a thought. And, you know, the divorce money guide is not only used by people in divorce. It is used by people who are hoping to stay married but not knowing where to start with the finances. So again, if we take this fraud element out of it, because that's like the scary piece of it. If we just looked at people who needed to get a handle on their finances, I know a lot of the men and women that I have talked to who are in that position where they haven't been in control of finances, they're saying, I don't even know where to start. For me to say, Megan, go get your bank statements. That's easy for you. That's easy for me. For someone who hasn't been involved with the finances, they're saying, how am I going to get my statements? And so I wanted to be able to walk them through that process. And then what I found, of course, was that it's not just people who are getting divorced. It's those people who are wanting to stay married, but wanting to understand. Maybe they have some suspicions about the money, but they want to understand before they make any sort of move towards divorce or deciding against divorce. Yeah. Well, that's what I think is so powerful for, for myself and for so many of my listeners and stuff is out there is like, let's just try to be as educated and as knowledgeable around this, the dynamics that are going on in our household and the numbers, the actual financial aspect of it before we make any, there's no decisions to make, but let's just do this first. And then let's see how we feel about things, right? See how that shifts, how you feel about money and your relationship with it, with, with it and with your spouse. We could talk for hours about this, couldn't we? I know. I love it. I absolutely love it. So let's have you tell everybody about how you can find the both guides, the divorce money guide, the marriage money guide, and how we can hear more about you. The divorce money guide can be found at divorcemoneyguide.com. And on the top of that page, there is a link to the red flag assessment. So if you are uh, having concerns about money in your marriage and you're wondering if it's something to be worried about, go ahead and take that assessment. The marriage money guide can be found at marriagemoneyguide.com. Awesome. 
And are you out there on social media for people to follow you? Do you have a website? How can people get in touch? Find me on Instagram. I'm divorce money guide there. And you can always DM me, or if you get to the divorce money guide site, uh, there's an email address there. You can email me there and I'm happy to answer any questions. Awesome. Thank you. I really appreciate it, Tracy. This has been such a very eye-opening, enlightening conversation. And I really think that there's, this is going to open the gateway to having more conversations on this particular topic, because it is, as I said, it's, it's very loaded and there's a lot to explore here. So thank you for being so open and honest and being really interesting (laughs) today. It was great being here. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Thank you. Oh, 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 oh,